finances. And like Seth mentioned, uh, we are we are called to be stewards, right? Um, man, whatever it is that we've we've been given in this life, God is asking us to use that to bring Him glory. Okay, so as a ministry as a whole, I mean, we've been practicing practicing this in terms of, of growth in God's Word, haven't we? The more that you learn of God's Word, and the more you learn about His Bible, the more responsible you are to teach it, to handle it rightly, to divide it rightly, right? You become responsible for the things that you've been given in terms of knowledge and truth. The same thing is true with your time, right? The way that you use your time, a lot of you are learning that you can, you can actually use and leverage your time to invest in people and to bring glory to God. We are all, we're stewards of the time and the life that God's given us. And every day that we wake up and we still have breath is a day that we're supposed to take that time and leverage it for the kingdom and use it for the sake of God's glory. Our friendships, the people that God has put in our lives, our family members that God has given to us, He's given us those people. Right? He didn't give you those other people. He gave you those people. And you're supposed to use those relationships and steward those relationships to invest love into the people that God's given you. So here's the principle of Scripture. right? And this is a crucial one. We are, above all, stewards of our lives. The, the Great Commission is, only makes sense for us if we actually recognize that we're stewards of the dispensation in which we live. And so today, okay, so check this out. Larry is a very good friend of mine. Larry's been to my house and, and sat down with me and my wife and talked about finances before and showed us and given us a philosophy of finances. About three months ago, I guess four months ago, in LFBI, uh, there was a counseling by Living Faith Bible Institute is a, the Bible school here at, uh, at MBT, okay? And we had a, a, a biblical counseling class and we talked about all the different ways in which God can, can use us to counsel people in his word. And one of the portions of that, of that study was about biblical finance. Okay, And Larry came in and spent an hour and a half talking about how we can invest in people and teach them uh, the way God wants us to spend and use our money. Okay, Sometimes not spend, right? And, and so, man, that was such a blessing to me in that short period of time. I pulled Larry aside immediately and I said, look, this is something that Kaya needs. How many of you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, just ask yourself in your heart, know that you're like just amazing with money. You, you are always making the right decisions. Okay, so I'll take it through the last listen. You recognize that you're not always good with the money that, that you have. And so God uh, is giving us this time, the next three weeks, to focus in our attention on how to use our money, how to use our jobs, how to save properly. What, what, what? To bring God the maximum amount of glory with our lives. Are you guys with me? Okay, so let's pray for Larry one more time, and I'm going to give him the floor, and I'm going to let him, he's going to go hard. He's got a lot for us to, to get. You guys don't believe that Larry goes hard? Don't be fooled by the khaki, by the khaki and the collar shirt. Look. Okay. So let's pray for him. And, and let's be ready. Everybody has their notes. Everybody has a pen. Let's be ready to listen uh, attentively. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for this time and this opportunity. Thank you for giving this church Larry Smith. Amen. Uh, thank you for uh, the testimony of him and Anita in our family here. And God, how much we've learned for just from watching their relationship. 
and watching them minister together, devoted to one another and devoted to you. Thank you for that. God, we thank you for, for the heart that you've given him for evangelism and the testimony that he is in terms of, of how he stewards his mouth. His, his words are a sword, and he recognizes that, and he uses that, and it's a testimony to us. God, we thank you for uh, the, the, the gift that you've given uh, us through him in terms of his knowledge of finances and how to use biblical principles and apply those to, way that, to the way that we see the, the, the money and the resources that you've given us. God, use him this morning to teach us a thing or two about what it means to handle our money in a way that would glorify your precious name. Uh, again, anoint him this morning and use him. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. amen. Thank you, Brandon. I am more excited to teach this class than almost anything I've ever taught. <laughs> we love Kaya. Many of you are very good friends of us. A lot of you are friends of ours. We, we love your enthusiasm for learning God's word and sharing God's word. You don't understand how unusual it is to have people of your group plugged into a church and serving God so wholeheartedly in this day and age. So it's a great honor to get to teach you. Also, with the lessons on finances at your young adult age, if you get God's right attitude and right teaching in finances, it will make an enormous difference in your life. It can remove great stress that you would otherwise have. It can give you sound, sound foundation for both good times and bad. It will give you a way to have the, all the things you need and some of the things you just like to have. So as we go through this, please feel free to ask questions after class. Get with us if you have personal questions. We are here to help you, to minister to each one of you. Just please dive in. We normally counsel people who are much older and have already trashed their finances. And it's very sad. At your age, if you get this right, you'll blow past all the people of your, of your age group for your whole lives. So dig in, learn. We've been studying in our church how important it is to serve God, about the judgment seat of Christ, about the fruit that we're to have, about our ministry both to others and to the Lord. But equally important, our church needs to teach the Christians the life skills from the Bible so they stay on track on that mission. If you think about it, and you, you can write this down because I didn't include your notes, there are three main ways that Satan will try to derail your ministry. He will attack your marriage or your lack of marriage through your attitudes or sin. He will attack your money. And if you're married, he will attack your munchkins. It had to be an M. I learned that from Alan Shelby. <laughs> Marriage, money, and munchkins will derail you from the mission. I was trained up in a church that was a phenomenal church of teaching doctrine. But they were weak in teaching the life skills. That just wasn't important enough to teach in a main service like this. Thank you, Brandon, for allowing us to do this. And we grew up in that church, and over the short time we were there, there was adultery in the church. There was a pastor that was sleeping with at least eight women that was kicked off staff. There were financial problems to the point that the leaders of the church had to be called in one-on-one -on -one because none of them were giving much at all to the church. 
the church was growing and had no money to grow. We had kids that were going off into the world in sin. We had a teenager, a young, fairly young teenager, commit suicide. And all the while, we were teaching God's doctrine every Sunday like it was, hadn't been taught anywhere else before. So this is very, very important, and it's why when I went through shepherd school, I did my dissertation not on evangelism, which is my heart, or discipleship, which is so important, but on finances. And that's why it's become just kind of a, a you know, I'm kind of like the finances guy in any church that I'm in because I champion it, champion it, champion it, because you know how hard it is if you get off track there and how it can derail you both mentally and, and even physically from serving God and serving his plan. I plan to teach this class in four lessons over the next few weeks. Today we're going to study God's heart regarding finances and then some basic budgeting. Next week we'll talk about debt and particularly focus on the three debts that frequently cripple younger people like you as they start their financial lives. That's student loans, credit cards, and car loans. The third week, we're going to cover God's commandments to work and then see how you can make the very, very most out of your careers and how to negotiate the highest pay. I'm also going to have a special section on how women can make sure that they get paid at least as much as their male counterparts. The fourth lesson, and you need to jot this down to not interrupt with Brandon's schedule and teaching. We're going to teach this on Sunday night of that third week, April 9th. So please block out that time. If you normally have a Bible study of that time, bring them all here. But we're going to teach the last lesson. We didn't want to skip this. I thought it was so important that Brandon made us time. And that's investing and how to make capital purchases like cars and houses wisely. And then we're also going to reserve some time that night. Anita and I'll hang out. We're going to get some other people who are, are very experienced in finances to hang out. If you have special questions, if you want to bring your budgets, things like that, you can. And we'll help you one-on-one -on -one that night. Or we volunteer to do that anytime. Okay? So let's dive in. The theme of the Bible is God establishing his kingdom on earth. You have handouts I gave you fairly detailed handouts this time, and that's intentionally, and I'm going to do that in each class. You guys are awesome with all the Bible studies you have going on. I'm trying to hand you the outline so you can go use this as a Bible study anywhere, anytime you want to steal it. So it'll give you all the verses, the principles, all that. It's a huge evangelistic tool because so many lost people have their finances messed up, and they'll listen. And we're going to go into a lot more doctrine from what God says than what a Dave Ramsey class does. I love Dave. He is very practical. But what we're going to do is we're going to see exactly what God says and why he says it so we know in our hearts why we're doing the things we're doing. We don't want this to be a class on finances according to Dave or Larry. We want it according to the Lord of Lords. Amen. So there are quite a few Bible verses in here that we're going to cover. So let's get going. The theme of the Bible is God establishing his kingdom on earth. It says, Isaiah, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom 
to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord will perform this. If you think about the Lord's Prayer, it's thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Through salvation, we have chosen to become servants and slaves for Jesus Christ. In Romans 10, and a lot of people that do evangelism don't explain this very well. What are you confessing in Romans 10? The Lord Jesus. You're making him king of your life. You're saying, I will trade my life to you if you trade my life out of hell for me. So many people pray a little prayer and think they're done. It's a trade, and if that trade doesn't happen, that repentance, there is no salvation. Paul introduced Romans by saying, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Titus, Paul, a servant of God. Jude and John described themselves as servant. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, we're to be a living sacrifice. Romans 8, 29 says we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. So what we've really done is we've signed up to be members of God's boot camp. Right? 1 Peter 5.10 says, but the, grace of, but the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. John 15.1 says, I am the vine, the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that he may bring forth more fruit. Second Timothy 2, 3 says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The most important point to keep you on track and out of the counseling office as a Christian, internalize this, write it down. This world is not heaven. If you try to make this heaven and are all upset and torn up inside because this world's mean and awful and hard, you're not thinking correctly. This is training. Is boot camp fun for soldiers? But does it prepare them for war? Does it prepare them to lead later? This is a 70-year boot camp so that we're good leaders for eternity in a perfect place with a perfect boss, with a perfect job. This isn't going to be nice. This world is boot camp for young Christians, and it's a battlefield for mature Christians. Set your goals and expectations accordingly. Things don't always go easy. Here on this earth, now that we're saved, it's no longer what we want, but God wants through us, even financially. But this doesn't mean poverty. There's many, many rich men in the Bible Abraham, Joseph, Job, Joseph of Arimathea, all the wealthy women that followed Christ and ministered after his needs. They're going town to town and buying all the food for the apostles. Realize also a surplus is required for God's work. Money for MBT's building comes from its members' surplus. Money to plant two new churches came from our surplus. Money to pay our pastors comes from our surplus. If we're just barely subsiding, we couldn't do all that, could we? If it took every dime we made to feed ourselves, and I know as young adults, you're kind of close to that sometimes. That's okay. (laughs) Trust me, it improves over time. (laughs) Billy Graham once said, if a man gets his attitude right towards money, the rest of his life will follow. This is one of the hardest things for us to turn over and say, okay, Lord, you're the Lord of this too. 
Also know our lives and particularly how we handle God's gifts, including money, time, talent, exactly like Brandon said a few minutes ago, is a test of our obedience. Test goes in your blank. Which will help determine our our position in God's heavenly kingdom. Matthew 25, 23 said, His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. There's where the joy is. But we have to be faithful here first. Revelations 5.10 says, And he has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on earth. We're going to be the governing body on the new earth. How you do it here determines your position. You want to be the king of a great nation or the king of an outhouse? The choice is yours. The question asked of each of us, will we use our resources that God has given us to further his kingdom? Or are we just going to focus on ourselves and have temporary pleasures ignoring God's plan? The overall goal of this first lesson is to show the Bible's way to become one with God in finances and to highlight the enormous difference between the world's way, which is excess and instant gratification, and God's way, which is balance with eternal reward. So money, let's talk about money for a minute. Everybody like money? God's point for us is to differentiate between our attitude surrounding wealth and wealth itself. God hates greed, pride, covetousness, envy. But it does, he doesn't hate wealth or money. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil which some coveted, there's covetousness, after have erred from the faith and pierced them through with many sorrows. I will warn you, in many new translations of the Bible, they have changed that verse, and it just simply says money is the root of all evil. That is an incorrect translation with a political agenda behind it for those churches. Don't use that Bible. So I have a question for you. What is this? What is this? What is this? Some of you were in my class before had the right answer. Money is a certificate of stored service. It's not an end in itself. Many people get messed up because they think it's an end. You can't wear it. You can't eat it. You can't live in it. It's a way simply of trading your service for somebody else's. Somebody can work at Starbucks and make 100 bucks. It may take them two days to do that. They can go to the dentist and for 100 bucks get their teeth filled. It's a way of trading their service for another service. Also realize country to country to country, there's big differences in how that exchange happens. A physician here is the highest paid position on average. In China, they're nothing but glorified nurses. I have a friend in China that gave up being a physician to be a quality manager in one of the factories we used. An MD. She made more money that way. An electrician or a plumber here can make a pretty darn good pay, can't they? They make 50, 75K. In Latin America, are those fancy positions? They're the bottom. 
It's just how society judges things. The best man in my wedding was a guy I grew up with my whole life, swam on swim teams with, worked with, went through high school with. After college, I, I went off into my career. He went off into his. He trades bonds for a living. He went to New York for a while, came back, and bought the third house up the hill from the carriage club on Word Parkway. His exchange is a little different than mine. Am I jealous? Well, yeah, a little. <laughs> but realize God knows the situation he put us in, and he's going to judge each one of us according to what he gives us and what we do with it. We are walking, talking examples that God's way is true. If we fall into financial bondage, which is anything that interferes with our relationship with God, we're no longer a good testimony for him. If we're a Christian and we make money the whole focus of our life, we've created an idol that is above God in our, in our hierarchy, haven't yeah. we? That's the problem. Key point, Colossians 3.2. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. It's fine and even good to have your list of needs and wants and like-to-haves. We all do. But the key is, where is your heart? What comes first in your mind? God's mission or more stuff? We're going to talk about the right way to balance this as we move forward. But finances are God's test of our spiritual maturity. That goes in your blank. And obedience. God's way versus the world's way. Pay attention um, to this section, it is one of the most important things to grasp. If you were in the counseling class, you've, you've heard this, but it's so important. I'm going to repeat it for all those that didn't. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us the ministry of of reconciliation. So you already should know that the first stage of discipleship is repentance, right? Repentance before salvation is what we just talked about a minute ago. It's turning from sin into Christ. But are Christians immediately perfect Christians at that point? Mm -mm. The ongoing re repentance is what goes on after that. The change from living like a lost person to having Christ's heart. And way too many Christians fail to make this transition in their attitude towards, towards money, and they trash their lives because of it. Let me ask you a question. What do most people say is living the good life? What's living the good life? What's that mean? Go ahead, Steve. You talk. This is interactive. Cars, money. Cars, money. Oh, wait, you're looking at my pictures. Pretty nice Ferrari. <laughs> What else? Living on a farm. What's your idea? Money? Financial security. Security. Yep. What else? Traveling. Yeah, lots of spare time. I want to live like a Hollywood actress that works four months a year and sits by my pool the other nine. Is that right? The transformation that God desires 
in this ongoing repentance is to stop thinking and focusing about having the good life and instead focus our energy and attention on having a fruitful and fulfilling life, not the good life as the lost world defines. Fruitful, as in God sees eternal purpose in what we're doing. 1 Corinthians 8.3 says, But if any man love God, the same is known of him. Your finances scream, I love Jesus? To a lost person? Colossians 1.10, That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing the knowledge of God. Christ pleased with your finances? Is the goal of your life being happily married with a big house and a fancy car? Or is it to serve God with your life and bring him the most glory? It's okay to have secondary goals as long as they're biblical, as long as your main focus and energy is to serve God. Next question, do you have a joyful life? I now consider it a joyful week any week I get to lead somebody to the Lord. That is awesome. I consider it a good day any day I get to teach somebody the Bible. Woohoo! This is a good day. This is the transformation God wants from Christians. Think about it. Are you now focusing your thoughts and efforts on having a good life or a fruitful life? And I realize this is a struggle for young adults. When you're young, your parents controlled your stuff. As college students, you didn't have any stuff. So when you finally break free and get a job, and all those offers for easy credit come, you want stuff, right? I was your age once. My wife says sometimes I still am. But. <laughs> Think about, is what are your main goals? And also I want you to think, switch your thoughts for a second and think of all the people who really achieved and even overachieved at having the good life. Think about those. Where are the king and queen of pop right now? Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston. Where are the kings of comedy? Robin Williams and John Candy. Where are the greatest guitarists of all time? Jimi Hendrix and Prince. These people overachieved having the good life. They had everything in the world, including private islands. The richest friend I ever personally had as a friend, somebody I could talk to anytime, saw frequently, all that, lived two blocks down from the Ward Parkway Meyer Fountain on Meyer Boulevard in a beautiful mansion, had a true Ferris Bueller Ferrari, <laughs> and one day sat in his living room and shot himself in the head. He wasn't happy. He was not a Christian. That was before we were Christians. So let's have a Dr. Phil moment. How's that good life working out for those people who really achieve it? Not so good, right? I, I saw a funny quote a while back while I was praying for the, preparing for this. I was praying for this too, some by the way. And it, and it, was, it was kind of a, a comic thing that said, I spent my whole life climbing the ladder to success only to find that the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. Think about it. Isn't that what this world's doing? But I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, Larry, 
That's easy for you to say. You have a pretty good life. That, see? See? Look at the smiles. Uh-huh. I know. You say, you have an incredible life. You have a, a nice, completely paid-off house. You drive Porsches and BMWs and Alfa Romeos. Looks like the good life, right? All that is very true now. But most of you heard my testimony during Tuesday night prayer in November. When we got saved, we completely sold out for Christ. Two months after Anita got saved, we had Haley, who had medical issues that caused Anita to quit her job and cut our family income in half. In half. We were not wealthy in any way. Clothes came from Salvation Army and garage sales. Anita made a lot of the kids' clothes. We saw restaurants on very special occasions only. It was very, very, very tight, just like it is for most young Christians. That's normal, by the way. Sermon on the Mount, Christ said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And we did seek him with as much passion as we formerly devoted to seeking the good life, and oh, we were hedonists, big time. We were good at it. We plugged our lives into church and serving God with equally high intensity. We also obeyed God's principles, and particularly Proverbs, on money management. And guess what? Just like the Bible says, slowly over time, by keeping God first and obeying his financial teaching to stay out of debt and invest wisely, things work out. Imagine that. The Bible's true. We went from struggling and just making it paycheck to paycheck to now being quite wealthy. But how does God say to do it? Be debt-free. We both worked our way through college. I went to night school for seven years to get a four-year degree. Anita worked in pennies and at a country club as a waitress to put herself through school. Slow, painful, it wasn't a four-year vacation for us, but we got out with zero debt. We never once made a car payment. We drove some real hoopties. <laughs> I'm telling you. We never once made a car payment. We never once had a credit card bill that we couldn't pay off at the end of the month. We bought a house that we really could afford, completely paid it off, and still live in it. You want a good life. Pay off the house and have that much money, that 850 bucks a month, free? You can build wealth that way. And every one of you, if you get your heart right and your plan right, can do that. Fifteen years from now, you could own a house paid for. Oh, by the way, if you're going to have kids, a 15-year mortgage is perfect. I had no idea what we were going to be making, but we were having munchkins. I got a 15-year mortgage on my house so that it ended as college began. You just transfer that 850 bucks a month or whatever it is, and it's an almost equal trade. Guess what? Our kids don't have any college debt either, and they work for part of it too. So there's no prosperity gospel. Don't listen to those guys on TV. Send me $50 and you will be a millionaire. That is not true. But living here in the USA, if you work hard at your job as under the Lord, rather than like most sluggards out there, and you're good at what you do, you will get raises and promotions. 
then if you un live under your means and stay out of debt, you will over time build wealth, sometimes lots of it. Look around our church and all the churches you've been in at the guys with graying hair that truly bought in 20, 25 years ago and managed their finances according to God's plan. Most of them are not worried about where their next meal is coming from. And some of them God has blessed immensely. So it's no accident when you see people a ways down the road who've done things right, having what you want now. It'll work for you too. The problem is our society teaches have it now, have it quick, puts you in debt, and makes sure you never build wealth. So repent of making the good life your main priority and follow God with your whole heart and you will over time succeed financially too. Now, traps that prevent us from doing things God's way. Please turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10. I've kind of teased you up till now and thrown all the verses on the board. Now we're going to dive in and look at it. You may want to take some notes in your Bible. Proverbs 15.27 says, He is the greedy of gain, troubleth his own house. This chapter of Proverbs 1.10 are the very first words of teaching that God has a picture of Christ on the throne giving wisdom to us, his children, just like Solomon to Rehoboam. This is the very opening passage of Proverbs after the, the salutation and entry. Proverbs 1.10, his first warning in Proverbs to us. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, come with us, lay, let us lay in wait for blood. Let us work privately for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down to the pit. We shall find, no, or we shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us. In other words, invest. Let us all have one purse. My son, here's the admonition, walk not now in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from thy, their path, for their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. And they lay wait for their own blood. They look privately with their own life, for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. From this we can see, verse 10, there is a lot of things going on in the world that will entice us out of God's will. Verse 11, a lot of financial situations, the innocent is harmed. It's not a win-win deal. 12, the world will promise you false riches. You've seen the signs on the telephone, make $100,000 from home part-time, the emails, sign up for this and you can make a million dollars a year, blah, blah, blah. God's saying run. 14, this is a big one. You put in the money, we'll put in our talents, and everything's going to work out for all of us. No, you'll lose your money. God says get away in verse 15. And why? Their way is evil. They're looking for victims, 17 and 18. And then 19, 
Accept God's provision. Greed ruins a spirit-filled life. God's way is to seek his plan through wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, not to be greedy of earthly riches. As believers, we have no basis for fear, do we? God promises. Many financial decisions we make are based not on faith, but on fear. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that come to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek them. Romans 14.23 says, Anything that's not done in faith is sin. So think about it. If we had no needs, we would not need faith, and therefore we would not acknowledge God as we should, right? Note that the world's way, and this is important, you watch the news. Note that the world's way is to eliminate all possibility of uncertain outcome because they're eliminating the need for God. Think about all the government programs that are completely eliminating the need for faith or the need for self-sufficiency. It's all taking us away from faith and, and doing things on our own the way God says and saying, this other false God is going to take care of us. God's way is to trust in him. So let me ask you a question. What do you worry about? What do you worry about? School, I agree. I, I still worry about school, and I'm not even in it anymore. I hated school. I wasn't a valedictorian like my wife. James, what do you worry about? Making sure decisions you make right now make you further more for God's kingdom. Okay, that's at least a good one to worry about. Somebody else? Who else? What do you worry about? Financial problems? Okay. People worry about. I looked this up. Forty percent of people worry about things that never happen. Thirty worry about things that cannot change. They can't change. Twelve worry about needless health issues, which, by the way, can give you high blood pressure. Ten percent about petty and miscellaneous things. Think of the things that you worried about and kept you up all night, and by two days later were nothing. Right? Been there. 8% about real problems. <laughs> if only we turned all that worry time into prayer time, think what the results would be. That's what I try to do. Sometimes unsuccessfully, I'm human. Realize that fear comes from a lack of trust in God. God promises to meet all our basic needs of food and clothing. Turn to and mark this in your Bibles, Matthew 26. 626, sorry. So not, neither do they reap, nor they gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not better, much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his statue? In other words, make himself taller. And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, even Solomon in all his glories was not arrayed like any of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, 
Shall he not much more clothe ye of little faith? Oops, he just called me a bad name, didn't he? Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall, we, what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. Verse 33, we all know it. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these, what? Things will be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Paul understood this when he said in 1 Timothy 6, 8, having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. So why don't we live by faith more than we do? Pride, Satan, the traps of the world. The world's version of success equals get rich quick. That goes in your blank. And then show it with physical results. Today's mindsets, I want it now so I can show it off now. Financial problems and debt often starts when young individuals and especially married couples expect to have the same lifestyle their parents worked years to have. The prodigal son is a perfect picture like of this. You realize that the average credit card debt in America is now $15,800? That's just credit cards. Get rich quick schemes equals sin. Attitude is the key. Very, very, very few people get rich fast. Most that try fast investments lose it all. I have counseled people in our churches that have done day trading thinking they were going to get very wealthy and lost six-figure 401ks. All of it. Proverbs 28, 22. He that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye, and consider not the poverty that shall come upon him. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5 says, Labor not to be rich, cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thy eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle towards heaven. In other words, don't make your life goal to be rich. Make it to serve God and obey him. And if you get rich, praise God. And if you just get all your needs met, praise God. When you get to heaven, you're a king. Practical ways to avoid get rich quick. Number one is the most important, and all the others don't matter if you do this. Avoid the thought that there's an easy way to get rich. Number two, avoid the people who try to talk you into ways of getting rich quick. Number three, never make quick investment decisions. Timeshares are probably one of the worst of these. They come down to the Lake of the Ozarks for free. And all you have to do is attend this little two-hour meeting where they beat the heck out of you and try to get your name on the line. Fast. They get you emotionally charged up and, oh, it's a beautiful day. And, and suddenly you've signed up for something for the rest of your life. Stick to what you know. If you are not a you know, microprocessor genius, don't go out and try to buy all the stocks in microprocessor companies thinking you know. The guys that do it for a living, and you realize mutual funds have people that just study market sectors, that's all they do. They'll have three or four guys that all they look at is, is the chip stocks. They'll look at all the guys that are the phone, telecom, medical. They have 
absolute, don't think that on an evening or two of looking at stuff on the internet, you're going to be the expert in do well. I have bought medical stocks. I've spent my whole life in medical. That's one of the few individual stocks we have ever bought. And we did well. Never, ever risk borrowed money. Oh, people do that. I worked with a guy, great guy, head sales guy, flaming optimist, took his whole retirement and put it into this little company I worked for that didn't do too well. Number, the last number F, buy investments with true utility. We'll talk more about this later. But something like your house is something you can never lose. You get it, you buy it, you pay for it, it's yours. It has sure value. And especially as young people, but even older people, seek good counsel. If you're married, that starts with your spouse. Men are naturally risk takers. Women are more, more security minded. Get the balance. Then talk to people who are experts. And also realize the things of this world don't mean anything long term. How many of you have gold jewelry on? Hold it up. Wedding ring, necklace, earrings. You realize people kill each other for that stuff and all it is to God is pavement <laughs> all this is pavement we're killing ourselves for pavement jewels nothing but the stuff that you know they're like bricks to God he just puts them in the walls of Jerusalem okay you get the eternal picture here how hard are you going to work for pavement keep the right focus Biblical success depends only on our relationship with God. The def dictionary definition of success is one who accomplishes goals and is able to enjoy the fruits of them. God's perfect verse for this is Ecclesiastes 12.13. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole Hebrews 12, 28 says, Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Most of this world is frustrated and miserable because they're trying to use things and good works to fulfill the gap left by, not by having God in their lives and not by having eternal fruit. Yeah. Christians become traps because the world's lies are so convincing. Lies goes in your life. Why do we get trapped? Because we've adjusted our expectations and made them relative to those around us. Well, my next door neighbor has a new Mustang, so can I have a Camaro? We try to live our Christian lives by the lost world's standards. Remember, Christ said all the things we need will be added to us. Larry Burkett was a longtime radio guy, one of the few guys that ever taught biblical finances. He was on Christian radio. He is the mentor for Dave Ramsey, he was the only guy that had any decent information out there when I did my dissertation before Dave was ever known. Here's his keys for how to trust God. Number one, find God's plan for your life and work diligently to fulfill it. Number two, accept God's provision. Number three, make a conscious decision to keep trusting God. And develop a long-range viewpoint. Eternal, not retirement, as that 30 year old actress sitting by our pool nine months a year. Here's a great quote 
God calls anybody who's willing to become nobody so he can mold them into somebody special for him. You willing to give up the world to be molded into something special? The lost also often associate problems with sin, and that's not always the case. God wants to break our ego and pride so we'll follow his direction faithfully. Lost people have problems too, don't they? Yeah. Success. The lost world thinks that success means material wealth. God thinks it's willingness to obey his call and direction. Listen carefully and look at this on the board or your outlines. Man's way is to focus on location, vocation, motivation, and then relationship. I live on Moore Parkway. I'm a CEO. I have all the cars and country club memberships I want. And God, who cares? God's way is to focus on relationship, motivation, vocation, and last is location. Love God first. Make God's plan the reason we live. And what we do, the location, who cares? Focus on God, not a place. James and Rosie in Asia, Doug Pearson, who was an Indian, is now being moved to Colombia or Cambodia and Vietnam. Location isn't the issue. It's lost souls. That's the attitude he wants. Focus on the finish line, not the day-to-day. Happiness comes from who you are and who you know, not what you have. Okay? Budgeting. We're going to talk about budgeting in a few minutes. I'm going to ask you to do homework and do a budget this week. It either is or will be posted where you can get to it. The first step in creating a budget is understanding the difference between needs and wants and like-to-haves. So you kind of got to decide that. People screw up their budgets when they move the like-to-haves and the wants up in front of the needs. Counseling, you know, we counsel so many people who, who, you know, I counseled one family, this was back a ways, but they had a $900 or a $600 a month cell phone bill but couldn't pay their, their, their rent because they had a bunch of teenagers. I'm like, you're going to get kicked out of your house, but it's okay to play video games online until you do? <laughs> this smart, good guy, guy I truly love, good friend, just didn't have his priorities right. The second step is determine the standard of living that God wants to you, wants for you, and then live it. If God gives you a lot of money, it may be because you can help your church do great things. It may not just be to have a Word Parkway house. Remember Matthew six nineteen: lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. Also realize every American is wealthy in terms of having their needs met. Welfare recipients here are so rich compared to the people we ministered to with Pastor Pradeep in India, who literally built eight by 12 foot mud huts and had a family of five or six or seven living in them. But they were good Christians and they were serving God. Sit down and determine where you are and where God wants to be. The last step is have a written plan. Why? Habakkuk 2.2 says, And the Lord answered me and said, Write down the vision and make it plain upon tables. 
We write it down because it's too complicated to keep it all straight in our mind. <coughs> Excuse me. Number two, a written plan gives us a vision for the future. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is it he. Your budget is your law. It's negotiable. You can change it as time goes on. But it's something you set and say, you know, we just can't afford to go out to dinner again this month because of this, this, and this. And the third reason, it solidifies goals in our mind so we actually achieve them. If you say, I'm going to knock out this student loan debt, and I'm going to pay you this much a month, when you write it down and plan it and have it, it's way easier than, and I'm sure no one's ever done this, but have you ever said, oh, I'm going to lose 10 pounds, and partway in you said, eh, five's enough? <laughs> or maybe I got to two, and now I'm going out for pizza? Right? Creeping goals. The budgets have so many parts, you cannot do them in your head. People keep trying to tell me, oh, I know where my money's going. What a bat. I've probably done budgets with hundreds and hundreds of people, and they're all surprised the first time they do them. And you will be too. So if we can, let's switch to the budget spreadsheet. This is a spreadsheet that I came up with, and actually the guy that uh, discipled me was a fairly great guy at accounting and all that, so he helped. He's now gone to be with the Lord, unfortunately. Um, but if you take and plug in your incomes, your taxes, go to the next page, all your housing expenses, and you can change any line you want. But if you just put in what you spend each month in this column, everything else will calculate. And then this column over here, go back to the top slide, please, if you would. It will tell you how much you've got income, and it will keep a running total of what your expenses are. And this column, sorry, in this column is what's advised, and I realize most of you aren't families of four yet, but it's kind of advice for each category. It should tell you what you should be giving and show you what you are and what the difference is. And you can just go through your whole budget and see where you're at. Okay, flip on through if you would. You can see food, cars, insurance, monthly debt payments, entertainment, recreation, savings, investment, medical expenses, all the other stuff. If you just go open this up, save the file with your name and the date on it, punch in the numbers, there will be things that jump out that you say, wow, we could make a difference here. Wow, we could change this. Wow, am I really spending that much there? And you can take charge of your finances. Now, the biggest reason people fail at finances, and especially investing, is they let life happen to them. They just go along and let things happen. That means you're letting who determine your outcome? Other people. If you want to win, you take control, lay it out, take charge, and run your life. And then you can be successful. Now, if you want to save money, go to the last slide, if you would, please. Here is what the normal family spends their budget on by category. Something that's very, very interesting is if you want to make big differences in your budget, and a lot of you aren't married, so you have a lot of flexibility, the easiest place to make the big changes is where there's a lot of money being spent, right? 
You want to suddenly take a big chunk out of your student loan debt? Take in a roommate. You can cut your living expenses in half, right? You can look at your budget, and I know people in this room are even doing this. You can say, you know what? I'm making this $300 a month payment on a brand new Honda. I can go buy a used one for $5,000 and drive it for five years, and all those payments can pay off this stupid student loan debt or my credit card debt, and I can wipe this out. As you get deeper into family life, it gets harder because wives don't like living in places that guys happily would. <laughs> Girls will happily take on roommates, but family in the family situation, that's a little harder, right? Cars and things like that are less flexible as you start needing the minivan for the juniors in the back. So look at your budget, do a budget this week. It may take you a month or so to gather everything you need to fill it in, but fill it in and then watch it for a couple months and make adjustments. And I guarantee there'll be things that you miss. There'll be things you're surprised at. When Anita and I did this budget our first time, we lived, were living frugally. This is back when I was the only one working. And I was working for a little bitty medical company that wasn't paying me what I get paid now by a long, 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 long way. We did our budget and we go, this says that our food expense ought to be 13%, and we're spending like 18% on food. What's up with that? We live in Shawnee. There were three grocery stores near us, and they were all in a conspiracy to keep the prices high for each other. So they were all more expensive. You know, we price shop, and well, price chopper's this price, high is this price. Oh, this one's, you know, price chopper or whatever's less. They were all expensive. By driving a little further and getting a Sam's card, we went to Sam's and Aldi and instantly saved 5% of our budget, wow. which to us meant, okay, now we can go out for Mexican food once a month. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> right? Things like that. Who's running your life? Are you going to run your life or are you going to let somebody else run your life? And whose rules are you going to follow running? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We love this group of people with their enthusiasm and love for you, Lord. And we just pray, Father God, that you use Anita and I and, and the other, other people here who have financial experience to help these people set a foundation in their life that they can live and succeed for 50 years to come, Lord. And we just pray, Father, for your wisdom to sink in and pray for, for what I taught, Lord, that's of you to be heard and anything I said that wasn't true to be forgotten. I just pray you bless us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.